This is Channel 253. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Our essential question today, how is evangelicalism Evangelicalism. Say that five times fast. (laughs) How is evangelicalism supporting white supremacy in American churches and government today? And what do we do about it? Today, uh, we are super lucky uh, to have a special guest with us, Erin Jones. Some of you might recognize that name. She is an independent education and systems consultant, a public speaker, and former candidate for state superintendent, also known as OSPI. Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have We're you. We're so excited to have uh, you. I feel like, like I'm touching a little bit of fame here in the same room uh, <laughs> yes. because I think back to when I first, um, I actually didn't even meet you. I saw you at like, a, you were presenting and I was like, that lady's amazing. Like yeah. everything you were saying was like hitting whatever I needed to hear at that moment, that particular moment. Yeah. And I just remember being like, you know, whatever, starstruck or something. I don't, I don't know yeah, what it was. Just me. And so it's really <laughs> funny now being, like, I mean, you're a normal person yeah. and talking to you about normal things. And yeah. It's just funny the difference. Yeah, it's great. I was thinking about something similar where when you were running for office so that I – I saw your name on the ballot, and I we have like a bunch of mutual friends, and so I was like, I was like, oh, I'm so excited that she's running, and I told my wife, and she was like, hell yeah, that's great, like we're so excited because we like voting is like a party at our house, and so so anyway, yeah, it's so good to have you. Thank you for coming. Oh, I'm excited to be here. So yeah. thinking about who Erin Jones is, um, for people who might not know who you are or only know you in like one capacity, how would you describe yeah. yourself? Well, because I'm we're not on, on film, I should probably describe <laughs> what I look like because sure. that's important. Um, I'm a six foot tall black woman with a giant afro that will be red later today because my Ooh. son is doing my hair today. Fantastic. Um, so, uh, but I... I am biracial. I was... My mother was white. Father was black. Um, I was abandoned in the hospital when I was born um, back in 1971 and adopted by a white couple from northern Minnesota of all places in the yeah. world. Um, <laughs> and they left the United States when I was five, moved to the Netherlands on a whim and taught at the American School of The Hague in the Netherlands. So I grew up overseas really most of my life, mm-hmm. um, graduated from the American School of The Hague, um, traveled to, I think, 10 countries by the time I was 14 playing sports and um, got a really amazing education, came back to the States as a quadrilingual. I speak English, Dutch, French, and Spanish, and thought I was going to come to America, get this great college education, and go back to the United Nations mm-hmm. um, and work as a lawyer, and realized in my first year, I was called the N-word so many times mm-hmm. my first year of mm-hmm. college in Philadelphia that I had to stop counting. And it was the first time I really experienced racism. I didn't know what—I knew what had happened. Like, I had studied American history, so I knew mm-hmm. about the civil rights movement and everything. But I, I really thought when I came in 89 to the States that— we had progressed so much right. further because the Cosby show was a big deal in Europe. Yeah. So that was my context to understand America now. Mm. And I discovered an America that wasn't so mm. forward thinking as I thought and almost killed myself my freshman year of college. Mm. And it was before email and Internet and all that stuff. I couldn't just talk to my parents. It was a five dollar a minute call home mm-hmm. and they were teachers. So I couldn't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. So I just suffered in silence and really considered suicide after basketball season was over and I didn't really have community. And then ended up on a basketball court one day in April at the end of my freshman year, 
with a guy named Dr. J. Um, and that was the first time I felt like I belonged on the court. It was the mm. first time I felt like nobody was questioning, why do you talk this way? Mm. Where are you from? Nobody cared because I could ball. And um, I found my spot. And then after the game, I talked to four high school age boys. And they had all dropped out of high school. And they talked about these high schools in the city mm-hmm. in Philly that were just falling apart. Teachers weren't certificated. They didn't have enough books. And my heart broke for these boys. And I asked each of the boys that day, so what's your dream for the future if you're not going to get a high school diploma? Because I knew you needed mm-hmm. that at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And each boy said, we don't expect to live to be 21. Mm-hmm. Why would we dream? And that was the epiphany that changed my entire life. I knew I couldn't go back to Europe. I knew I needed to stay in America. I needed to be part of the solution. I had assumed that American public education was this phenomenal thing. Mm -hmm. That's why everyone came to America for university because they have great education. But what I learned is your zip code and your skin color and your language predict the kind of school experience that you Mm -hmm. will be exposed to. And I've just made it my business for the last 30 years to be part of disrupting narratives Mm -hmm. and doing whatever I can, whether I'm a classroom teacher, an administrator, Mm -hmm. or now a consultant, to disrupt narratives and also push systems to change. Um, to make sure that we're supporting every child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm the mom of three kids. So I have um, my husband, James, and I have been married for 25 years this last summer. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, He's the little brother of Jesse Jones from television, and they grew up right here in Tacoma, which is how we ended up back in Tacoma after college. Um, We have three adult children, um, two bio kids. Our boys are 21, about to be 22, and 24. And then we have a daughter that we adopted in the middle. So they're 21, 22, 24. My youngest is a senior in college, and the other two are just out working. So Mm -hmm. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. Um, it's funny because you might be thinking, well, we're going to be a very education-heavy show today, which we will be talk about education. Um, but we're actually here to talk about religion, which <laughs> might seem kind of like a weird <laughs> like outlier, especially with your – I mean, the trajectory you had and the, the, the work that you do today. So why are we – why did we um, say that we should have this conversation yeah. or <laughs> – well, so I yes, think, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's because you've been following my public <laughs> Facebook page, I suspect. Um, Maybe. You know, and you know, I didn't talk about this in the intro, but I, I grew up in a house that was, we went to church. I wouldn't say we were, reli- well, we were religious. We didn't have, faith was not a conversation, mm-hmm. but we went mm-hmm. to church every Sunday, a Protestant church. And, um, you know, it was all about being a good person. Mm-hmm. And it was my one day a week I had to wear skirts and dress up. <laughs> um but I didn't really have a personal faith until I considered suicide and went through my that transition at 19 years old. And um, kind of my way out of that experience was this epiphany and, and getting connected to church spaces. And so my first church space was kind of what I call a Baptocostal church, a black Baptist <laughs> Pentecostal. I don't even know what to call it. Like they called themselves a Baptist church, um, Sharon like Missionary Baptist church. Um, which is actually right where Fresh Prince of Bel Air, oh. like the playground. <laughs> yeah. You know where? Oh, yeah. it's literally on the backside of that playground. Oh, so yeah. I remember the first time on I saw Fresh Prince. Is where exactly. Okay, I, can't help. Yeah, I was Sorry. like, "Monday's there too." Yeah, <laughs> he had just left for LA, but um, but yeah, I was in. I was literally in West Philadelphia right as he was leaving West Philadelphia, which yeah, is kind of cool. That's awesome. Um, so he has a special place in my heart just because of my whole kind of coming to America and discovering my faith and, mm-hmm. and what does it mean to be black. And and then being in the black church, because I wasn't black like the other people around mm-hmm. me, that was a challenge for me too. So Your parents were going to church with you there? 
No, my parents okay. stayed in Europe. Oh, okay. Literally, my parents didn't come back till 10 years ago. So I was in America oh, okay. for 20 years without my parents. Okay. Um, so I'm this black girl from Europe mm-hmm. going to church in West Philly, which is 100% black, mm-hmm. um, to this all-black Baptist church where, you know, with the hats and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, were you wearing hats, too? Or are no. You, you're just like, um, that's not me. <laughs> Well, and I was a basketball player. Yeah. So even trying to—like, that transition was really hard for me. I wanted a church space to belong mm-hmm. to, and I never— really I would say I never have really found a space that I belong mm-hmm. in um, but the Black Baptist Church was the first space that I joined and then I, I remember one day I was so um, intent on learning the Bible that I came after basketball practice one day in my sweats because I knew I was going to get to Bible study late if I yeah. if I changed yep. and I remember I'll never forget this I walk into the sanctuary and this man points at the wall and it says women will not wear pants what? Oh, yeah. It was on the wall, on a sign. And I had never seen it before because I'd only come on Sundays. Right. And I'd always come in a dress because I I knew, air quotes, that you were supposed to wear a dress to church. You know it was a rule, though. Right. It was on a wall. wall. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the end. I never went back to that church. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, wow, if I can't just show up. Mm-hmm. And here I am. I had taken a train an hour and then a bus mm-hmm. to get from my mm-hmm. college to mm-hmm. church, too, because I really desperately needed something mm-hmm. there. And then to have that response was enough to drive me away. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I found um, some Bible studies on campus and then just started going wherever I could get find things. When my husband and I met, um, he had grown up in church here. It was called People's Church Um so over on the east side of Tacoma, large, kind of what you would call a mega church, probably the size of Life Center now. Okay. Mm. Um, it's a different church now, but he had grown up in church, but walked away from church in college. He was a college football player, Oregon State, and walked away. But when we got together, he went back to church, and we trying to find a church that matched both of us um, mm. was a tough thing because he had mm. grown up in a really diverse church. So the, the all black also was mm-hmm. a struggle for him. Mm. Um, he went to Notre Dame and became an associate past minister in a an all-black Baptist church. But there were still times when people would say things about white people, even in the black mm-hmm. space, that as the daughter of two white people made yeah. me really uncomfortable. And, you know, my husband's stepmom is white. And so for us, race has always been this mm-hmm. dynamic mm-hmm. that we've had to wrestle with in ways that maybe other black people don't have to think about Um and so we didn't ever feel 100% comfortable mm. in that space. And so we found an Assemblies of God church in mm. our last year in South Bend, Indiana, and started attending there. We were one of two black couples in this entire, like, 400-people mm. church. Wow. And at the time, race was not something we were thinking about. But I will say race has become something that mm-hmm. we are thinking about in church spaces now. And so I, when I ran for office, it became really apparent. Um, I made the mistake of running while Hillary and Trump were running against each other. If I had known <laughs> that, about that <laughs> dynamic, <laughs> I may have chosen a different time to run. But, um, <laughs> but just watching yeah. how, not even like take my campaign out of it. Yep. Being in the political space, mm-hmm. watching the dynamics of that as I'm running for office, was so ugly. Mm. And to watch some of my friends, people I thought of as friends, people that I had gone to church with, I forgot to mention, we ended up back here in Tacoma because my husband got called out here to be the Mm. youth pastor at a large, what you would call evangelical church, probably. Mm. Um, I don't know that they'd call themselves evangelical, but I would say they probably align in a lot of ways with what has typically been known as the evangelical church. Um, we youth, were youth pastors there for 10 years, and 
um, then he became a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so we both went into teaching and we realized we love young people, but we like to use our brains and not just Mm -hmm. this faith piece. And so we've both wrestled with like faith and, and young people and education and and part of the evangelical challenge for us has been there's this idea that whatever a pastor says is the gospel. Mm-hmm. So the Bible is gospel, but then whatever the, the person up front says is also the gospel. And there's we've found um, not just in our church, but in a lot of what you would call the evangelical church, this this idea of don't think, just do mm-hmm. what we say. Yeah. And for us as academics, that becomes a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so um, for us, I think we've been wrestling with that probably, especially for the last 10 or 12 years, even before I ran for office, we've been wrestling with, wow, we are really thinkers. Mm -hmm. And so when you pastor say something, we're going to go check it out. And the Bible says, be like brains. Like Mm -hmm. you're supposed to go Mm -hmm. check things out. Mm -hmm. But that I feel like it's been discouraged in the evangelical Mm -hmm. church. And Mm -hmm. so if Jerry Falwell says something or... (laughs) Anyway, we were texting about Falwell. I know yeah. we were texting about this morning. This morning. And I, hence my <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, he is not someone that I have ever perceived as yeah. a a good representation of the church. Um, but he thinks he's yeah, an amazing. Actually, hey, yes, what well, guys? Church. We have a shame bell. Shame So if you're not familiar, with here, hold on to that because Jerry Falwell Jr. on January first said that if you don't, if you're an evangelical and you don't support Donald Trump, that you are immoral. Immoral. You're immoral, Junior. Uh, he's <laughs> scary. Yeah. He scares me. He scares me. He's, oh, yeah, he he's should. So I think when people are like, he's yeah. not scary, he's fine. I'm like, whoa. Oh, who says that? Yeah. We hang out with, I, yeah. I hope. Well, I haven't heard it directly, hope but I, I get he... the impression from certain types of folks. Okay, I was going to say, um, if you heard that here. directly from someone, we need to. Yeah, I separate We need to do from the, the, the Marie Kondo well, method so you, to you clean out your friends. That's funny because right now I'm seeing everybody like posting pictures on Instagram and oh, Facebook yes. of their clean. Oh, yeah. oh, like, yes. Does this give me joy? Thank you. You know, jacket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you, um, have you seen the Marie Kondo? Like, uh, she has her own like decluttering sh- like show on Netflix now. It's no. like eight episodes of season one. Oh, yeah. We it's started inspiring. watching it. Oh, yeah. to You're going to want to clean your house. Sorry to detour <laughs> okay. on that. That's well, okay. so you brought up several things that I think about in my own life. So I grew up mostly in the Philippines or like for foundational time frames were there. People have been talking about that like a million times on the show. But I think about my experience with church was in that context. So yes, missionary, which is a whole other thing to unpack. But yeah. um, but in those spaces, like I was, you know, one of the only white kids, right? Yeah. And so the, I definitely felt that. But also, like to your point, there's certain traditions and certain ways of expressing and worshiping that like were part of just I thought everybody did that. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. and I thought I thought everybody and I realize now, you know, it's it was actually more Protestant Pentecostal specifically yeah. <laughs> yeah. or charismatic if you know mm-hmm. if you yes. use some of those terms. But I didn't realize like people didn't actually do do that across the board. And I yeah. never heard the term evangelical really. Right. And then I went to Biola, which is the Bible Institute oh, yeah. of Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got my minor in theology. I did not and, know this. I'm learning all these <laughs> things about you. <laughs> and took these classes where I was I was in there and I'm like, wait, I'm the liberal crazy in the room. Like what? I don't understand. Like mm. other faith people don't believe the same thing. Like we say we're all Christians and what? So that was really important for me, I think, to just realize. Yeah. Especially the huge one of the huge rubs was around women in ministry. And I just didn't realize people didn't believe in that kind of thing. (laughs) So it opened my eyes to a lot of things. And even that term evangelical, which I had had, like I heard about it a little bit in high school, but it was more, I got associated with a little bit more um, conservative, but it was more the church, my friends who went to evangelical churches, it just meant they like didn't use a lot of instruments or like they weren't as expressive. They just like quietly clapped instead of like raising their hands and like waving flags around and stuff. (laughs) 
because that's more what I was yeah. I you know it's so interesting because I was um my dad was Catholic Catholic school for like you know thirteen years mm-hmm. and my my mom was raised in like various different churches and when I was a kid we didn't have a church and my dad didn't want to go back to mass he's like no nah, yeah. that's not my because he was just kind of a free spirit and he didn't want to do that because <laughs> um, of the constraints and no like the, the boxes you yeah. know that you are putting yourself in in mass because it's very yeah. super structured yeah. he's like I can't handle it um, and so we ended up going to a Lutheran church which was like. And I don't think this was the intention of the of the pastor of my church because I like grew up in this church, wonderful church. It's still there actually, New Hope Lutheran Church in Pacific mm, Washington. Shout um, out, <laughs> Pastor Mark Gauz, who is People quite who wonderful. Probably never listened to the show, right? But, you know, I think so. he. I don't know if it was his intention though to teach the young. Basically, all of us ended up being really young kids. Ended up being really independent minded, super liberal. Because it's a Missouri Synod church, mm-hmm. which is actually the more conservative parents, Lutheran church. My, par- yeah. my mom is Missouri Synod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's because there's the Evangelical Lutheran right. church, and then there's the Missouri Synod, which is kind of like, I would say, sort of like Catholic light. Is that more because there's like, still communion and there's still okay. like it's mm-hmm. really it's traditional and that's super sense. structured. You, you have to wear skirts and stuff. And, no, no, okay. not in this particular church because okay. the pastor. Here's the thing, Mm-mm. Pastor Mark Gauze. Uh oh, really, really, really great guy. Um kind of a liberal like rebel Uh-oh. within the Missouri Senate church super <laughs> radically accepting Uh-oh. and so ended up like all indoctrinating all of us young people to be like super loving and accepting and like kind of hippy dippy and so that that's where I came out the other end and I don't think he meant to do this but I ended up kind of straying away <laughs> from the church because I was like oh well he taught me to be independent minded and you know and so then I I went on to um some different church experiences in in Bel- yeah, it's all his fault. Um, it wasn't me and just like my like um, changing in, into an adult person. Um, but I went when I went to Bellingham. I tried a few Lutheran churches, didn't like them because the Lutheran pastors weren't like my Lutheran pastor, who was very like like warm and liberal and hippy dippy. And then I went and he would go to like anti war protests, and you're just like you're like yeah, you're my guy, right? Um, and I didn't find that until I went to Unitarian Church, which was is very like non dogmatic but like religious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that was kind of where I ended up the last. That's the last place that I've been. Mm-hmm. So it's like um, I feel like I my exposure to um, evangelicalism. Did I say it right? Yeah, good time. It was in middle school. Uh, it's I about a meeting. I would yeah. say like you need to practice a little more to get exceeding. Yeah, to get, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel that. <laughs> I feel that. I, I haven't had I haven't had it spark joy in my heart yet, as Marie Kondo would say. It's not not quite there yet. Um, but I had in middle school. I had a a tryst with a. A Nazarene church mm-hmm. doing Bible quizzing with my friends, Ooh, and they are and seriously the, conservative. Seriously conservative, and I didn't know that at the time. Oh, yeah. And I remember my telling my dad, "Oh, I'm going to go hang out with my friends, go to church." And he's, like, "Oh, what church is it?" And, um, "Oh, Nazarene church. We're going to do Bible quizzing." They invited me to come Bible Bible quizzing club. And you like a good trivia and, night? Oh, I so. love trivia, and so that, and you know, even back then, I loved trivia. Um, and so there was the hot, you know, youth pastor with the like sandy blonde hair surfer guy with the guitar, you know, and he's like, he's yep. like, "Yeah, let's sing some songs and let's let's do Bible." quizzing and it I was just like super into it I was I the whole thing was like fun you know I loved it um and you know it it didn't get weird until you know later when it was like like um I, I think in that particular church it was the like um Oh, what's it called? Like speaking in tongues mm-hmm. and the like um, kind of um, convulsions and things. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, I don't really, I'm not feeling oh, the Holy Spirit. No, Nazarene said that. Not all of them yeah, do. And that's the thing. Say. Not all of them do. And so then I was like, I was like, I'm not really feeling the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I, that kind of pushed me away from that. But come on, Annie, get yeah. with it. How come you're in Yeah, right. But like that was kind of my taste <laughs> of evangelicalism. There you go. And also when I was in high school, the, um, what was the club? Um, uh, Young Life. 
There was yeah. Young Life in There's my high lot. school. And young so then, Life, Missionettes. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot about Missionettes. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. all kinds of different. Yeah. yeah. Young Life was one in my high school that was like, a, that was kind of my experience with yeah. evangelism. <laughs> You're so sliding down it. into so pressure. That's okay. <laughs> I'm going to get it. Well, and I, I think this is kind of something that I've been thinking a lot about. So sometimes, you know, it's part of that bubble, right? Whether we're saying a liberal bubble or whatever bubble we yeah. live in, we sometimes think that that's the, that's the only thing that exists, right? And yeah. so then yeah. we start to encounter... Like other people who say that they're like us yeah. and they actually believe something quite different than us, right? And we have to challenge our beliefs and try to sort it out. I think that's one of my yeah. takeaways from Biola. In addition to some, some relationships that I um, still, you know, people I'm friends with today, um, is that just that notion of shaking it out, right? To figure out, like, yeah, no, I really do believe that women are smart and capable and can lead a church. Cool. You know? yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or I really believe in these kinds of things. And I, I think my trouble um, in the last few years around the term even evangelicalism, so maybe we can talk a little bit more yeah. about that, and just realizing, like, no, that's the term that people are using. So even though I want to reject that term because mm-hmm. I think of it in this very, like, staunch fundamentalist way— because you know, because yeah. um, at the same time, like that is how the church is defined today. Um, well, and then the it's church. also um, like it's also this is an article I'm, I have I'm recommend for my homework. Um, but just reading about how the term has is applied so broadly mm-hmm. to both a type of religious faith, yeah. which is like um, a sharing of religious faith, um, to be like. Um, to bring new people into your church. That's an evangelical mindset. Like, right, let's yeah. get more people into the fold yeah. or whatever. Come and on in. Yeah, so there's this religious aspect, but then evangelical Y'all, y- my middle this... name is Evangeline. Did you know oh, that? Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> Which is part of the same root word. Wow. wow. <laughs> Hope Evangeline. Get I didn't it? know yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I, did, I was not aware. <laughs> Miss Kade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, that's, yeah, that's amazing. That's kind of an amazing middle name. Mine's bo- boring in comparison. <laughs> not to interrupt you there. But. Oh, no, I'm really glad you told me that. I feel like that's, wow. Um, it, it flows nicely, too, though. Thanks. Hope Evangeline. Um, I don't even remember what I was talking about. Sorry, I'm was, so excited about your middle name. So, I mean, what do you think about that, Erin, in terms of that term now describing oh, a church as a whole? Yeah, sorry, the political side of it. Right, yeah. so there's like the actual right. religious terminology. So what do you think about that? So I think... Really, the the political context, I think, has has become a thing really Mm -hmm. recently. I don't Mm -hmm. think if you had... I I think we would have talked about our church here in Tacoma as charismatic. Mm -hmm. Really, until until just recently. I think now a lot of churches now are being called evangelical that would have called themselves charismatic. Mm -hmm. And I think the charismatic doesn't have a political side to it. Mm-hmm. Charismatic speaks only to the, you know, mm-hmm. we expect hands are going to be raised and people mm-hmm. are going to be speaking in tongues and dancing. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of yeah. what. Yeah. But now this evangelical piece has come about, I think, really as, I think politicians on the right mm-hmm. intentionally have done that. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. think, um, and it's interesting, I've been doing quite a bit of reading about kind of the rise of the religious right and, um and I think I was pretty shocked. I have always thought even abortion and, and pro-life, I thought that was their thing. And, and really the mm-hmm. foundations of it are more sinister, I guess. I don't know the, yeah. the best word. But really segregation mm-hmm. was the beginnings of the religious political right. Mm-hmm. And that flowed into, okay, now that the civil rights movement has happened and we have to have integrated spaces mm-hmm. What's something else that people can catch on to? And so pro-life became this thing. But what a lot of people don't know is even the Baptist Convention, I think, didn't say anything about abortion Mm -hmm. until many years after Mm -hmm. it became legal. 
And it, it was this way to how do we coalesce folks on the right um, mm. from charismatic spaces? How do we give them something politically to hold on to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something that's and, deeply emotional for most people. Yes. That they everyone has a view about it that's strong. Well, or, they do yeah. now. But, yeah. but they didn't before. Abortion was not something <clears throat> that people had strong emotions about yeah. in the 70s. Um, and it wasn't until it became a thing that, kind of the religious yeah. right begin to promote how do we leverage these folks politically and that's where um, the religious right became a political mm-hmm. thing but I would say even the term evangelical in terms of how it's being used today mm-hmm. is a really recent mm-hmm. like maybe three or four years I think it's really really recent and and I think it is a way um, again I think with Trump this has become a thing mm-hmm. and and I think Folks on the political right have have had to try to figure out how do we get everyone moving in a certain direction. And and what I find odd is, you know, all the bad talk about President Obama. And I've been reading and reading and reading, even preparing for today, just all the hate towards Obama. I don't understand. I can't comprehend Mm -hmm. it. So I understand if you are pro-life, I understand that Obama to you represents um, abortion. I mean, I don't understand how you could see a man just through that single lens but yeah this is what's happened yeah. though right mm-hmm. with this with these notions of evangelical and and right versus left then obama becomes mm-hmm. the enemy which i don't understand because here's a man who's stayed faithfully married to his wife yep. for 25 years who honors his wife mm-hmm. who has girls and treats them with respect mm-hmm. and speaks about them with respect mm-hmm. this is a man who um, I can say we probably have seen him angry in public several times, but never in the way that mm-hmm. we're now seeing right. mm-hmm. our yeah. president yep. angry, um, always in, in a respectful way, always trying to speak life into spaces. Mm-hmm. And yet he was so vilified. Yeah, and he's like calling things out, but not calling things names, which right. I think is also another interesting yes. point about values mm-hmm. and how you care about people and how you talk about people, mm-hmm. which is funny because a lot of faith, a lot of faiths or religions believe in that kind of stuff. And so then to say oh, we're just going to throw that out, like, is really mm-hmm. kind of bizarre. Odd. Also, yeah, even if you're talking about some kind of balance sheet of morality, you get, like, you check off all these things for Barack Obama that are, that by religious standards are moral and good and family-oriented family right. and positive. Yep. And so the balance sheet comes out, like, you know, he he comes out on top, right? And But then there's that one thing, like you're saying, right. that kind of makes the other things not matter. Well, it's political right? party, because right. we've now, to your point, right, we've now shifted that... Democrat means exactly. like liberal yeah. and secular yes. and whatever, whatever. Well, because I, and Republican yeah. means Christian, right? Like, what? And I remember, I mean, I remember the religious right being kind of a like a piece in the 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 second George Bush George W. Mm-hmm. Bush administration, but it what like you're saying, it wasn't it it. It didn't feel like this. No. It was it's a totally slide, different. But I think you're right. There's a difference today. Yeah. There's something that transitioned with. And it's funny because I um, I have been really intentional about, especially on my social media, holding space for both to exist. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I have far right folks on yeah. my social media and far left folks and then folks in the middle, folks who don't care about politics. I've tried to hold those things and create a space where you can disagree but I want to hear from everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, why do you feel? Why do you do that? I, you know, and it's intentional. Yeah. It's it's actually intentional because I think too often in American culture today, we are segregating segregating mm. ourselves. And I think the danger of social media is that we even 
more clearly define who our friend circles are now yep. than ever mm-hmm. before. And so it used to be when you were out in public spaces, you would run into this person or that person, and they all kind of were on the spectrum. With social media, we spend so much time cultivating a community that is mm-hmm. just like us. And I think that's really dangerous. Even if, I mean, I know where I stand. I know what my yeah. beliefs are. Yep. But I think it's really important to know what mm-hmm. other people are thinking. And and what I tell people is I want to hear from the far right and the far left, not mm-hmm. because I want to become like them, but because I want to make sure that what I'm thinking actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think the only way I can know that what I'm thinking makes sense is is when I listen to them, oh, okay, that's why they think that. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. now I get why they think that, or well, that is really crazy. And I, I now know that what I believe, I'm even more strongly mm-hmm. in favor mm-hmm. of that. And I think it's dangerous when we only allow ourselves because then we are in this bubble mm-hmm. and and we're listening to people who already share our brain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and then I think we end up becoming as dangerous mm-hmm. as the the very people we're we're talking mm-hmm. about now and so I think part of the reason when I think about kind of the evangelical movement when I think about Jerry Falwell and even some of the folks on TBN yeah. um, mm-hmm. I think about people who have only surrounded themselves mm-hmm. with other people like them. And I, I have this feeling, and, and I experienced this in my church actually just recently, a woman who's only been around other people who believe just like her, and she heard me. She's been watching me on Facebook. She doesn't ever comment, but mm-hmm. she's been watching me on Facebook. And she went to an event, a Christian event, and someone at this Christian event talked about how she was starting a ministry for to serve the LGBTQ plus community. And this friend of mine from church came to me with tears, and she said, oh my gosh, this is what you've been trying to say the whole time, that we need to live. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'd never, mm-hmm. I'd never thought it. I just thought, oh, we don't want gay marriage. We don't mm-hmm. want. And she said, it wasn't until I heard this big time, and I can't remember who the, the gospel singer was, but it was a white um, pop Christian singer who mm-hmm. started this ministry. And she came to me and said, I've been watching you for the last year, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it until I heard her. Mm-hmm. And so I think... We've got to have, we've got to be listening. I think there's always a why that people end up in their corners. Mm-hmm. And if we don't ever take time to understand the why, we can't get people out of their corners mm-hmm. either. And I feel like my job in the world is to help people come out of their corners mm-hmm. and get them talking to each other, having the conversations that we have made taboo. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in church we've made it taboo to talk about LGBTQ plus issues. We've made it taboo to talk about anything other than pro-life. Mm-hmm. And I push on this notion of pro-life. I actually call it pro-birth now, just mm-hmm. the way that the movement is. Mm-hmm. It's not about the lifespan mm-hmm. of a right, person. Exactly. Yep. It's not about the women. Yep. It's not about <laughs> yep. um, the relationship before or after. It's about mm-hmm. the birth point. Yeah, and after, right. once the baby's born, we don't talk yeah. about. And yeah. so I am pro-life, but mm-hmm. I'm pro, and it's why I'm An so, entire life of exactly. somebody. Mm-hmm. And right, that's caring why about for them me, throughout. Yeah. education is so yeah. important. And it's why I even said this during my campaign to the chair of the Republican Party. I said to her, what pains me about the pro-life movement and about your stance on education is that you have no stance on education, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Um, but education is the life of a child from mm-hmm. 5 to, to 18. And even before and after that. But let's just talk about, you know, OSPI was really 5 to 18. Yeah. And you all have no stance on that. Mm-hmm. But yet you say you're pro-life. So you're all about mm-hmm. the birth. Mm-hmm. But then as mm-hmm. a party, you have yeah. no significant <clears throat> agenda other than charter schools. Mm-hmm. And so I need you to care about 
equity in education because mm-hmm. the very the most vulnerable children in our state, whether they're special needs or they're black and brown or they're immigrant children, they don't mm-hmm. speak English as a first language, you have nothing to say about those children. And yeah. so what that tells me is you don't really care about the full span. And that is what has pains me about the the right politically is for me as someone who grew up in another place and got a great education somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I come here and it's very clear to me that even looking at DeVos, mm-hmm. she, her family is Christian. You know, they are part right. of Amway. Yeah. We, yeah. I actually was part yeah. of their Amway line oh. as a college, as a right out of college. I was part of their Amway line. So I saw the cultishness of that. Yeah. Um, it was really terrifying. Um, so she's a Christian Multi-level person. Multi-level marketing. Hey, yeah, so creepy. we've talked about that. Well, yeah, the I creepiness of that. And I didn't understand that. Yeah, yeah. no one, no one Europe. did. I didn't. No understand one did. It. And the thing about multi-level marketing <laughs> is it's super tied up with evangelical Christianity. Yeah, it, is. Yeah. it is. And it's and it's all it's yes. all kind and of related to the this, health like, wealth. There's like a branch of Christianity. The prosperity that's like, gospel. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Like and it's term, all yeah. connected. And it's all connected to Donald Trump. And it's like, but no one knew that. And like now it's kind of being exposed. Like we've talked about this. There's a great podcast. Oh, I mentioned it a couple episodes ago, but it's. The dream, and mm-hmm. they tied their first seasons about multi-level marketing, and they talk about religion in that too. But yeah, it's um, the Am- Amway DeVos connection is yeah. like it's terrifying, it's scary. Yeah, it's, it's like you said, cultish. It is. Yeah. It is cultish, and I realized that when I went to my first meetings, and and I will say at the same time. I learned some self confidence and speaking skills from Emway, so oh, I don't yeah, think definitely. it was all bad. Mm-hmm. No, a lot of people. A lot. Of, that's one of the benefits, right? Is that like it's like if you're in business for yourself, you learn a lot of skills. Like, Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. Which is a really Absolutely. valuable. Yeah, and I did learn that, but I realized right away. Oh, this is not, and who they're marketing to. This was just shady, and so you know it was interesting when she was given that position. I was terrified immediately because there were things I knew about mm-hmm. her family and her background. And yeah. I'm like, you know, here's someone who proclaims Christian faith but is all about mm-hmm. money, really, and is all about charter schools and doesn't has no experience in public school at all. And yet mm-hmm. is—and so here's the danger of the evangelical movement now for mm-hmm. me. What it— what it is all about, really, for me, is it's about maybe three issues. It's about pro-life— Actually, I'm going to add a fourth. Pro-life, it's about anti-gay marriage, you know, marriage as being man to woman. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about guns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, which is odd to me. I mean, all these things are really odd to me. Some of these, like, where do you find the Bible association for some of these things? They just don't fit together. No. Yeah. I don't really understand that. And then it's about money. Mm. I mean, money and power, when when it all boils down to anything, if I could boil it down to just two words, it's money and power. Mm-hmm. And in me, to me, that stands in stark contrast to the Bible mm-hmm. for me. And that's where, for me, um, my faith tells me something very different. And yeah. so when I, when people ask me what I am, I tell people I'm, I am a Christian. I'm a person of faith. I don't claim a particular, um, I don't say I'm charismatic or evangelical. I'm a person who believes in, in Jesus, and I try to live that out every day. And I am a broken person who is fallible, and I don't believe the church represents—any church mm-hmm. represents really what I believe. And so I go to a church every week, and I love people in my church, but it's a broken place. And I think in the United States right now, as a whole— the church capital is mm-hmm. broken, mm-hmm. and the face of the church, um, public face of the church. Um, forget Donald Trump. You know, if the evangelical 
church and if that political arm really says Trump is about um, kind of making sure that our needs are met, then how about we live that out every day? Mm-hmm. How about pastors live that out every day? How mm-hmm. about pastors publicly um, talk about what does it mean to feed the hungry? What does it mean to support the, the orphan mm-hmm. and the widow and the refugee? Because you're far too many are not talking at all. So we're right. hearing yep. publicly mm-hmm. yep. the five or six publicly that are, yep. have become the face of the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. My greater concern is, is where are the millions that exist under the surface every day who are not speaking mm-hmm. out? And my opinion about that is you're complicit. Mm-hmm. And, and you are allowing the four or five to mm-hmm. set the tone. Right. And so my challenge to my brothers and sisters in Christ is we've got to stand up and we have to speak out and we have to challenge. Again, I see myself as a walking disruptor of narratives. Mm-hmm. I, and part of that is my relationship with God. And, and so that's how I see my mm-hmm. public Facebook page as a space. One of the things I do there is really challenge some of these mm-hmm. public faces of Christianity to say, ah, that's not really what I believe the Bible says, and it's not who I am as a mm-hmm. believer in Jesus, and really challenging kind of— I, I think the church has become more cultural than it has become mm-hmm. a place of faith. Mm-hmm. We've gotten caught up in the culture of American Christianity— mm-hmm. And what that means, and that doesn't necessarily align at all with what I believe the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And so my challenge to folks is let's get back to what does the Bible actually say and how do we now challenge what has been the culture of the mm-hmm. church? Mm-hmm. I'm interested, too, in, like, the the churches that are disrupting. Like, um, I'm thinking in particular of the UCC church, United Church of Christ, which is the um, Methodist. I think they're Methodist. I could be wrong. I might need to Google that. We'll um, look it up later, yeah. Um, but the United Church of Christ doing um, a lot of community outreach and support, like the UCC Church in Bellingham, just they had this huge basement. Their church is really big, and the footprint of their basement is like, I mean, it's probably it's probably ten thousand square feet. It's huge. It's like warehouse size, yeah. and they would store. They used it for storage for. Um, their like rummage sale they had once a year the, throughout mm. the year people would just bring stuff for the rummage sale and then they would right it's a great use of the space because you you have a ton of stuff you need to store um <laughs> but they recently they got a grant funding and then also like just through tithing got enough money to convert their entire basement into it's not a homeless shelter but it's a homeless like services yeah space where it's like showers yeah. laundry yeah. phones like electricity where you can charge your cell phone it's like and so that became like a hub now in the neighborhood for people to have dignity and humanity right right? and so to me like seeing things seeing little things like and it's it's not happening in a widespread way like you're like saying it needs to like i hear what you're saying that like people need to in like a big way start to think about what it means to be a christian in america Mm. and reconceive that um i think examples like that are really inspiring like i see like ucc doing things like that and i'm like oh yeah we need to do that like all churches need to do that trinity prize up on um the hilltop does a lot of things like that too so they have a reading core that's out of there they do a bunch of really practical yeah and that's where i would like to see churches get back to how do Mm -hmm. we actually serve how are 
we've got all these spaces that are open on Sunday yeah. and maybe one other hour during the week sure. for Bible study or youth yeah. group. But how do we, how do those physical spaces become useful for something beyond that? Yeah. yeah. That's and, actually one of the reasons Nate and I started going to Urban Grace and really yeah. like uh, attending that church mm-hmm. is, is because of that. Like that's a giant building. It's a historical building in, in the city. Mm-hmm. And there's, I heard something like 15, 20 different organizations, like city organizations, not they're religious. They're that, in the building. Yeah. yeah. And that work out, of, they have offices there. There's a huge homeless ministry. There's a whole thing that partnership with UW around like mm-hmm. a, fee- a foot clinic um, that helps people on the street uh, and taking care of like medical needs. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff coming out of there. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the things yeah. I was drawn to about that church. And as a non-church goer, I see services like that being and from the not from a citizen's aspect and not necessarily from um, a religious aspect yeah. being so vital to the community, right? Like, um, you know, we, we had a woman run for mayor in Auburn. I live in Auburn um, in 2016. No, 2017, because I think they have off-year mayoral elections. Um, but she was running on a platform of we should uh, we should round up all homeless people in the city and we should put them on buses and we should have um, in this industrial part of Auburn that's away from the city core, we should have basically a warehouse for homeless people. And it was extremely inhumane. Um, and she lost to the uh, yeah me too um the in- incumbent won and she has she's a much more humane view about um about solving the homeless crisis in our city but it's you know you see people and she also this woman claimed to be like a religious person she was like she's like i'm a christian you know and i believe that you know part of our part of our mission in you know you can't see government in like, space right now she's like, she, it hurts her <laughs> um is to evict yeah, all homeless cringing. people from yeah, the city and so not let them come back yeah. and to scrub our library space of homelessness so that everyone can enjoy it and it's like well everyone's the public it's a public library um also you're gross so i mean do, yeah. do people not see the connections to nazi germany no, and they I guess, don't. This is the crazy that's the part. problem. And I guess yeah. I lived in Europe for most of my childhood, yeah. so that story was ever yeah. present for me. Yeah. And there's so many things that are happening right now that align so clearly. To, it's like remove and warehouse right. people. Is like how is that not? But it's just in so many ways there are things that you know if you are a good American, this is what you do. If you are um, a true patriot, this is what you should yeah. look like, sound like, act mm-hmm. like. And I find those, I, I just am shocked that people are not making that association at all. And that when you do make that association, people get really angry. Like, mm-hmm. how dare you? But don't, I mean, there are so many stories. We've already seen this play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, can not we new. not? Right. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break and then uh, yes. we'll continue this conversation cool. when we come back. Hey, Hope, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, it was great. Nate and I were out of town Friday and Saturday night, and then nice. on Sunday we flew back home. Wait, how is that possible? Like, we were messaging you and you and I were messaging each other back and forth all day. You were on a flight, <laughs> girl. You know about free messaging on Alaska flights, don't you? No, I did not know about that. Maybe a certain podcast co-host could have told me. I'm telling you now, it's amazing. You can chat for free with Facebook Messenger, iMessage, and WhatsApp from the flight. So like in the air. Wow. So instead of grading papers on the flight, I could be chatting with my IWL BFF for free? Yes. It's truly magical. This changes everything. It really does. We can do all kinds of podcasting notes. We can do, have Seriously. a little chat about our next Pinterest episode. For free. Yeah. So to book your next trip and send messages from the sky, visit alaskaair.com. We, we fly, fly Alaska. And we're back. So before we go on, we need to ask listeners, please... Subscribe to Channel 253. 
when you do that, it helps us make podcasts. And we know how much you enjoy them, so please subscribe. And uh, that will help keep our uh, programs vital and awesome and responsive to what you want to hear. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. I want to go back, actually, to something you mentioned earlier, Erin, around segregation. And so thinking about how, quote, unquote, the church um, started as, I mean, I think back when Christianity started, like, in the old days, um, as, a, as a place to, like, bring unity and accept different kinds of people. And then how, you know, the American church looks different than, you know, uh, churches in, in Asia or in Europe or various places. Um, kind of thinking about that shift and then how I, I was thinking about that quote um, from Dr. King that talks about Sundays the most segregated or Sunday's church service time is the most mm. segregated time. Still is. Right. And yeah. And how is it that it still is today? But then also how the political right has has like capitalized on that, mm-hmm. right? And continues to push that that agenda and that narrative mm-hmm. to your point. Um, do you think there are other people or organizations that are trying to push back? I mean, what does that mean in terms of thinking about race in America and and how, I mean, how do we, how do we, because there are, there's a reality of like people want to worship and be with other people that have similar philosophies at the same time to your point of like challenging those philosophies and being open-minded, just wrestling with all of that. I don't, yeah. I don't know what you think about. Some of that so, stuff. you know, it's hard because, again, as I shared um, at the top was, you know, I've been in all black churches and mm-hmm. I've been in predominantly white churches. And now the church that we're in is probably about 35 percent blacks of color and 60 um, something percent white so we are really striving to become a church that represents the face of Tacoma mm-hmm. um, pretty intentionally. And I think the challenge is that, you know, in the beginning of the kind of the black church experience is our churches were created as the only space black people were allowed mm-hmm. to congregate, mm-hmm. right? So so even the foundations of the mm-hmm. black church yeah. come from this brokenness and oppression, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And so... So to think about what does it mean to be part of the black church experience is a very mm-hmm. unique thing to th- consider, even in contrast to Latino churches, which mm-hmm. I think their church is more an expression of language mm-hmm. commonality mm-hmm. than anything else, right? So there are all these Spanish-speaking-only churches mm-hmm. that I understand the dynamic because language becomes their factor. For the black church, though, it's, it's a different, a different yeah. thing because it was the one place mm-hmm. that they could congregate and be together. I think there are some churches that are working hard to diversify. And I would say our church is a great example of a place where we have tried to bring lots of different skin colors together, but we haven't done a good job of talking about then what needs to change about the culture of our church. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's really easy to pray next to someone, to sing next to someone, to sit next to someone through a sermon. But if you go out of the building and you never have real authentic interaction yeah, with that person, yeah. then what's different? So you have mm-hmm. a bunch of brown people sitting next to you, but it doesn't change who you mm-hmm. are. And what I saw is because everyone is on my Facebook page, I get to see the brown people and the white people from my church and the kinds of things they're talking about on Facebook and was mortified by some of the stuff, particularly from my white church friends like mm. oh my gosh do you realize what you just said about black people so without mm. uh throwing anybody and like incriminating yourself or whatever yeah. um what is one of the like cr- not craziest because i don't want necessarily like that word but like conversations that would spark the most debate and discussion do you remember what it was about so 
Eliminate, let's limit it. In the last six months. Oh, yeah. Well, I can <laughs> limit otherwise. it to the last week. I don't know oh, if okay. you saw my uh, my post about the guy that was walking through our neighborhood with a gun holstered to his waist. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. The, gun, the gun discussion. Oh, yeah. my, that for sure has yeah. more conversation than anything. Mm-hmm. And everyone who responded kind of pro-open um, carry was a Christian, as far as I know. Yeah. I mean, all of, and then all of my and friends. And white, most of them were white. Yes. Yeah, oh, all, yeah. almost all of them were white yeah. Christians. And then everyone who was like, oh, shady. So just for some context, my husband and I were walking through Lacey from our house to Starbucks to do some work. And this man right in front of us, probably about five foot six. So my husband, I'm six feet. My husband is six three. We are large people. This was a really little guy, and he was posturing. I mean, it was really interesting. Not every little person has little man's complex, but this guy appeared to. I mean, he mm-hmm. was definitely kind of strutting mm-hmm. in front of us, and he had this this pistol, handgun, holstered to his mm-hmm. with this really elaborate leather mm. thing. Yeah. On it. And it was the first time in my life, in my 30 years in America, it was the first time I've ever seen someone open carry mm. other than a police officer. Oh, really? Oh, I've never, ever seen it before. So I was mm. like, honey. I was conservative family members. <laughs> yeah, no. And Lacey and Olympia. No. I'm like, actually, I was trying to look at your picture. I'm like, actually, do I know, you know that guy? <laughs> it's it's so me. funny because like my dad, my dad was very pro open carry. Um, <laughs> But, like, he never showed his gun to anyone. Like, if he was, he was pro, like, um, like, um, oh, what's it called? Um, he had his concealed weapons permit. And so, like, his thing was, like, yeah, you should be able to have weapons. But mm-hmm. whenever he went into any kind of public space, he had a jacket and a holster where you couldn't see the strap. Oh, but this like, guy was I know, and that's what's so weird about out. it is that, like, my dad was very much, like, was very much, like, you don't show, that's the point. You don't show people right? that you have a gun. And <laughs> like, that was kind of, <laughs> I think that's what shocked me so much. But what was interesting is watching my white Christian friends yeah. respond then. Um, and so pro-gun. And that's another, for me, a contrast to what I see in the Bible. So if you think about the disciples and Peter cutting off the ear of the guard and Jesus saying, no, this is not how we how we fight. Mm. This is not our weapon. That's interesting. Which is in such stark contrast yeah. to the NRA and to all the Christians who support. And I'm not, I'm not anti-gun exactly. Um, but as I said on my post, I grew up in a country where you never saw a weapon mm-hmm. unless it was in the hands of police or yeah. military. So I didn't grow up in a culture, mm-hmm. and I just find it really odd, it's mm-hmm. the best way I can put it, that so many Christians are pro-gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand if I was in northern Minnesota where my parents are from, I get that because people are shooting deer and elk, and mm-hmm. that makes yeah. sense to me. Mm-hmm. Walking through Lacey with a weapon, I, I just— I can't comprehend it and I don't understand the association to the church and to the right that is really confusing Mm -hmm. to me and I don't understand I think the word that came to my mind was it's uncanny because it doesn't fit it doesn't make sense like the pieces don't fit together it's like puzzle pieces that you try to jam together and they don't fit together like it gives you an uncanny feeling like it kind of gives you the creeps Mm -hmm. like it doesn't make it doesn't make sense well to your to your point earlier who about like there's this notion of like freedom which Mm -hmm. I think is a lot of that narrative right and then Religion kind of gets thrown in there because they're like, well, freedom to, you know, believe and like speak and you're like, cool, great. But then that kind of slides over and you're like, wait, hold on. Now you're throwing in abortion. Now you're throwing in racism and neo-Nazism. And And now now you're throwing in like what? Yeah. But it took a long time for me to realize and to reconcile and to acknowledge and accept the fact that the Bible has been used to to separate and to hurt people. Yeah, exactly. It's a weapon. And as like Mm -hmm. a tool of racism. And for a long time, I didn't want to acknowledge that or whatever. But I'm like, yep, yeah. And I still still have those moments where I'm like, I don't understand. We're not reading the same thing. But I also have to go. That's that's how people learn. 
are interpreting it, right? Like some What's of the up? greatest KKK leaders yeah. were, you know, using the and Bible. Nazis. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and you yep. think about every neo-Nazi group. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all about how do we... And that's where, for us as academics, that's where my husband and I have struggled because intellectually this stuff doesn't make sense. But if you're, if you've been taught to not ever question, there's Mm -hmm. this new book that my husband just read. It may not be new, but he just read it, educated about the women from the Mormon faith who went to Harvard. Mm -hmm. Um, I think everybody should read it. So he's been listening to it on Audible. And it's powerful because she talks about how brainwashed she was Mm -hmm. as a kid um, in the Mormon church. And this is not anti-Mormon, my comments. It's, it's how Common is it, whether it's mm-hmm. Islam mm-hmm. or um, Mormonism or the Catholic Church even, how mm-hmm. often are we swept into these belief mm-hmm. systems, either because our parents or because our whole community mm-hmm. believes this thing, and we don't question. And I think it's why our role as educators is so critical. Mm-hmm. How do we teach our students to question everything? How do mm-hmm. we teach them to think critically? How do we teach them to distinguish between fact and fiction and opinion, mm-hmm. right? And that's why, for me, education is this mm-hmm. space that I chose because I think it's the greatest gift that we can give mm-hmm. back to the world is young people who are willing to look at a piece of text and say, okay, mm-hmm. this makes sense or this doesn't, or here's one perspective, mm-hmm. here's another. How do I decide mm-hmm. what my truth is? I actually think one of the things I learned and I appreciate about Biola in the 90s and in the early 2000s is there was a move for intellectualism to come back into religious circles. And it was very a weird um, divide because the people that I went to school with, that wasn't where they were coming from, like their traditions. But then the school was like, no, we're an academic place. And, you know, we believe in theology and like um, Mm -hmm. apologetics and like the study of these things. And so there was even that tension within. And then I remember taking Bible classes where Mm -hmm. professors were were like, we need to think. But then they're like, we need to think this way. And I'm like, what is happening? You know, so it's it's interesting to think about like, how does, how does that play out? How do you hold those, those truths and and figure out? I don't know why I pictured that scene. And do you ever see the movie Saved? Yes. It's a really good yeah. movie. You should see it if you haven't. It's really good. Um, Mandy Moore, Ma- isn't it? Yeah, Mandy yeah. Moore. Oh, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, and yes, she's yes, following yes. The, the girl. Um, yes. I don't remember who plays the main. You're talking about the Bible scene where she's Yeah, where her. she's following her. She's like, yeah, you will feel the love of Jesus or something. And just throw, like, th- literally yeah. throws the yeah. Bible at her back. Yeah. pretty great. And it hits her. And it's just like, <laughs> it's such a stark, like, um, picture of, like, how the Bible is used in so many, in ways that are abusive. Right? Where, right. But it it's not, that's not meant to be a tool of abuse. Right? And so that's... Yeah, it's such an interesting and yep. yeah. There's yeah. a piece you sent me, um, an article that you sent me talking about um, people of color in the evangelical church mm-hmm. and like, do you want to talk a little bit about that and kind of where things, sure. what kind of work you're doing with that? I mean, I think um, what we're seeing now in the last, especially the last year now, is you're seeing quite a few. Um, even gospel singers who had become part of the evangelical movement, um, black gospel singers, mm-hmm. step away from it, mm-hmm. and. Um, so from the big names to folks like my husband and I who are pushing against. Yeah. So we're still in in a church because I, I believe um, one of my personal mantras is I don't believe in critiquing something I'm not willing to be hmm. part of solving. Interesting. So um, I believe in being right in the middle of mess and doing my best to try to push. Because if you're not part of the conversation, how do you move the conversation? Yeah. Mm, so I think um, a lot of black and brown folks have left evangelical churches. Um, We've made the choice to stay intentionally and to try to move and have as many conversations Mm -hmm. as possible with people. And so what I'm seeing from my friends of color who've been in charismatic churches and evangelical churches is either completely leaving the church Mm -hmm. um, 
almost all of our friends from our church that we did youth ministry with when we first came um, 20 years ago. All of them have left but one yeah. couple. There's only one couple left in our church. Um, have they left to go to other churches or they like were done with It's a mix. This? Yeah. Some are not going to church at all yeah. anymore. And um, and that's heartbreaking to me mm-hmm. that, um, you know, whereas could we create a space at some point where folks would be willing to come back, where intellectual discussion around the Bible could be the norm instead of, you know, mm-hmm. saved on the stage, talks, yeah. and then we yeah. just— um, But what I'm, you know, I'm connected to folks around the country in different spaces. And so a lot of people are writing about this now. You know, I'm leaving the church because of this, Mm -hmm. because there's either pastors are not talking about this stuff from the platform or spaces where pastors are talking about things like pro-life or, you know, those gay people out there, those bad gay, and and we're saying, whoa. You're one of the bad gays. Uh, right. I'm one of the bad ones. Right. But, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of, <laughs> so a lot of, you have to laugh, right? a lot of us <laughs> are saying, awful, yeah. like, how, how, wow. Yeah. You know, how can you, from the platform, say these kinds of things and then say that God is a God of love and grace and mercy? Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. so a lot of us are seeing wow, if this is not just about doing Jesus's work, if it if the pulpit becomes a place to kind of manifest or promote a political agenda, mm-hmm. or if you're not willing right. to stand up and and step up and, and speak in favor of vulnerable people, mm-hmm. why am I bothering to go? And here's the other reality, I think, for a lot of folks of color is coming into evangelical churches means giving up a piece of yourself anyway. So mm-hmm. things are done in a cultural way mm-hmm. that don't align with how yep. you talk or how you do yep. worship. Mm-hmm. Um, worship is not often in the style that you're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And so you're already giving up a piece of yourself culturally to show up in this space. Now, if it's also not going to represent what I believe um, politically or socially, how do I continue to stay in this mm-hmm. space? And so what I find that a lot of and I'll speak particularly to black people because that's the the community that I have been most closely tied to is the black church is is far removed from what they want and the evangelical church is not a place where they feel welcome right. and so where do I go yeah. and so a lot of folks have just stopped going you know yep. especially the millennials are not yeah. going yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anymore and I think millennials of all colors are not going to church yeah, anymore yeah, I agree with that, yeah. because I think the church has become a place that represents hypocrisy. And I think every every pastor is not going to be perfect. So I, mm-hmm. having been in ministry, I know this, that yeah, we are yeah. imperfect people. Yeah. So I don't expect a pastor to be perfect. But I think the millennials are seeing through the BS and seeing, wow, the message you're communicating doesn't align with how you're showing up in the world. And yeah. and the message is really superficial and it, it doesn't match the needs that I'm seeing yes. in the community yeah. and the political narratives. Yeah. And, and it's like perpetuating a certain culture like kind of yes. to your point earlier it's a culture like as you said though divorced of like an understanding of race and class and gender and all that stuff rather than saying like how does our faith transform culture and Absolutely. change culture and like adapt over time mm-hmm. yep. versus saying like we're perpetuating the same yep. understanding that had its own cultural like or, origin like original mm-hmm. and you, element so yeah you can't see this on film but i have nike on and i talked yes, to, yeah, talk to hope that. a little bit about this last night but i have been wearing nike um since the first day of the just do it campaign um to only nike so i speak all over the country on big stages and small stages in classrooms and professional development um haven't worn a suit and heels 
since the Just Do It campaign. Which is a big deal because you have I'm amazing suits that. and heels. I know. I'm and known for that. <laughs> they're beautiful. I know. I was like a little sad, but then also like it's amazing. So keep keep going. <laughs> yeah, but I, I put I those that. all kind of in storage. Yeah, and um every I bought every skirt that Nike has, which they do have skirts, <laughs> which I didn't know. Um, but I have worn Nike every day. And it's been a response to what I'm seeing kind of in church spaces and in kind of the right wing spaces of this idea that um, being American and being a a patriot needs to look a certain way. Mm. You need to stand for the flag salute. You need to um, really be kind of white, culturally white. Um, We shouldn't be talking in church spaces or political spaces about how black bodies are being treated. Um, And so for those of you who don't know about the Nike Just Do It campaign, Colin Kaepernick was the face of that campaign. And I hope you know about Colin Kaepernick yeah. and everything that he's been through. Um, if you don't, Google it. Yeah, please. There's a right lot about now. it. There's Stop what you're doing. Don't ask your black friends. Pause this podcast. Don't call your black friends. Google it. But Colin is much like me. He's also biracial and adopted by white people. And so his whole movement resonated for me in a lot of ways. I heard a lot of people say, well, he's got everything. Why is he complaining? He's not one of those people who's going to be treated poorly. And I want to say, yeah, you probably perceive me that way too. Mm -hmm. I've been um, milk and educator of the year and Mm -hmm. I've been honored at every level, but I still get pulled over in my car and I still get called the Mm N-word. And so it doesn't really matter how much money or fame you have. Being a black person with an afro, which he does too, which I yeah. find really funny. Yeah. Um, we are two tall, light-skinned black people with giant afros. Um, I love the fact that—I don't know that I would have done what he chose to do, but I honor the fact that he was willing to give up everything mm-hmm. for this this thing. That he was willing, with all of his privilege, mm-hmm. which I know I have too, with all of his privilege, he was willing to lay that down and say, I'm going to stand for something. As a professional athlete yeah. who— is mm-hmm. at the top of my game, I am going to take a knee. And so when he became the face of the Just Do It campaign and people lost their minds and burned their Nike, I said, I'm going to do the exact opposite because um, my, my husband's father fought in Vietnam. He has um, medals of honor. Uh, and, and I'll never forget, about a year and a half ago, when the Colin Kaepernick thing was at its height, he called my husband, and my husband had him on speakerphone. I don't know that my father-in-law knew this, but he was on speakerphone, and my father-in-law was almost in tears. Mm-hmm. And my father-in-law is a tough guy. He's not a an emotional person. And, and he was calling from Tucson to say, I've been on golf courses now with a bunch of my old white friends who were all really rich. We all mm-hmm. live in this rich area of Tucson, and he's a dark-skinned black man who was a sharecropper as a little kid. Didn't go to school till mm-hmm. sixth grade because he had mm-hmm. to be in the fields. And um, he fought his way out of South Texas mm-hmm. and became a self-made millionaire. So he has a lot of money now. But he said, I'm out golfing every day with my white buddies, and they're talking smack about Colin Kaepernick and how horrible he is and how dare you, Neil. And he said, not one of these guys have ever fought for our country. I fought right. for our country. Yeah. I took mm-hmm. bullets, and I thought I was fighting for our country so that we could choose to kneel or stand. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that day because I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, here's a guy in the military who gave everything, mm-hmm. almost everything, almost gave his life. And he says we should be able to kneel or stand. Wow, I love what this represents. So when Colin Kaepernick became the face of Just Do It, and I've been a Nike as a basketball player. I've played for 45 years. Um, I've worn Nike always anyway on the basketball court. But I said, you know what? I'm going to do 
a different thing than a lot of my friends. I'm going to go out and purchase Nike. Mm-hmm. And I'm only going to wear Nike. And in almost every speech, I start out by saying, I'm wearing Nike just in case you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I wear Nike because I want to challenge this notion of who gets to be American mm-hmm. and how we have to show we're American. Mm-hmm. But I also absolutely believe the Just Do It campaign, which is, do you have a crazy big enough dream that you're willing to sacrifice everything? And 30 years ago, I left mm-hmm. everything. I stayed in America when I could have gone home. And I said, every kid is going to get a great education. And that's what I've been talking about for 30 years. And so I wear Nike because it is a representation of everything that I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, and there are some of my Christian friends that are not happy about that. And to be honest, I don't really care. Um, yeah. I, I wear it boldly every single day mm-hmm. wherever I am. I have really bright shoes usually. And, um, and I've worn it on stage preaching in church and... Um, and I just want I want it to be the topic of conversation. I want to I don't want to get people angry. So I'm not try- looking for a fight, but I am looking for a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I wear it with the hope that people will ask. And I wear it with the hope that I'll be able to challenge some people in mm-hmm. how they're thinking about what does it mean to be American? Good. Uh, I think that's a nice segue to our final segment. Absolutely. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies. So I was hoping in our, a uh, little bit different than our usual homework segment, um, I was thinking about if we could give some homework, assign homework that is either advice for white Christians, people that say that they're Christians, or um, people of color who identify as well as Christian or religious in that sense. And then also if we have any advice for folks who are listening um, who don't ascribe to any particular religion, just mm-hmm. in thinking about evangelicalism and what do we do about it today. So if that kind of can shape our homework advice. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie, you had a really good homework. Yeah. So I found this great article. It's from 2015. NPR, uh, Jennifer Kurtzleben wrote an article called, Are You Evangelical? Are You Sure? And I like it because uh, it talks about how the term evangelical casts a really broad net over Protestants and Roman Catholics, but that the focus of political polling is almost exclusively on white evangelicals. So it's a really short, informative read about like when we're when people are polled for political reasons, um, they focus almost exclusively on white evangelicals. What does that mean for evangelicals? religious evangelicals who are not part of the kind of face of political mm-hmm. evangelism. Um, so yeah, I'm um, really. I think you should go check it out. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, my homework is um, kind of geared more towards people that uh, ascribe to Christianity of some sort. And I was in preparation for the show. I was kind of doing a deep dive into some groups that are resisting um, against Trumpism and this like tying in with Republicanism. And so uh, I learned about a group called Evangelicals Against Trump. I was reading a little bit more about a group called Red Letter Red Christians. <laughs> and then uh, which I heard a little bit about, but I was kind of deep diving into their website. And then I actually have been subscribing to the Sojourners um, web newsletter for a long time. Oh, yeah. And I find my that in the midst, fo- my mom gets there. Right. In the midst of all this um, stuff that's going on, they provide a little bit of hope because there are many Christians and evangelicals who actually do want to fight for social justice issues and, you know, whatever the issue may be and tying in that idea of civil rights and social rights um, with their faith. And to me, that's like the kind of Christianity I want to be part of or I, I try to be part of that. And so encouraging that. And then I actually was just reading um, the organizer for Sojourners or the one who's leading right now, Jim Wallace. I haven't read his book, Americans, America's Original Sin, but um, mm. it's on my list to read. So Jim just Wallace, kind of didn't he write the one um, about it was like – 
Saving God from the Church. Is that the same guy? I think it is, yeah. I, f- I have that book at home, and it's really good. Well, my my pat, my liberal pastor gave it to me for hey, my high school graduation. Highly well, recommend. One of the things he talks about is, like, people, Christians today are more concerned um, with being white than Christian. And so he is a older white dude who's talking about this stuff, and I think we need to hear that. So yeah. um, particularly white Christians right now. Yeah. So I um, wanted to recommend some podcasts that I listen yes. to. Um, Words Matter is one— um, and Words Matter is not a Christian podcast, but it's a group of folks who were Republican who have stepped away from they're, – they're kind of in this no man's land right now. But I, I love their podcast because it really – they're people who were aligned with the right mm-hmm. and who've stepped away in this last two years. Um, Quick to Listen is a great podcast for Christians who are liberal-leaning. Um, and they really unpack the most controversial issues yeah. of our time, which I, I love. Uh, Living and Effective is another similar kind of a podcast. And then um, Faith Factor Impact is another one that I listen to. If you are interested in some articles, um, if you want to message me on Facebook, I have a, a whole list of articles. I also have a list of if you are a white person who wants to learn more about mm-hmm. race and, and the impact of race on everyday life and you don't want to call your black friend, which you shouldn't, by the way. Mm-hmm. Don't have don't your do black that. or brown friend friend yeah. educate you. You need to do your own education. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in a one-pager, I've created one. So if you just message me at Aaron Jones on Facebook um, or LinkedIn – or Twitter. I'm Aaron in 2016 on Instagram, Aaron Jones 2016 on, tw- on Twitter. Um, just message me and I will send you the one pager with some links to um, TED Talks and videos and articles about race and its role in American culture. Cool. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Thank on you. The show we really appreciate it. Your story. Bye. Bye. The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is reading a book. A book. We're going to read White Fragility. By Robin D'Angelo. Please pick up your copy at King's Book or your favorite local bookstore. (laughs) Go ahead and read it. Post comments online. Use the hashtag ReadLessBasic. Bye. Bye. How is evangelicalism supporting white supremacy in American churches and government today? (laughs) Sweet mother of God. Both my husband and my mom are like, you're doing what? Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska! Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.